0: you are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. We're kicking off a brand new series uh, today, and it's going to be a five or six week journey through two tiny little letters in your Bible called 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So, Here's what I would tell you. Uh, I would encourage you, whether you're tuning in online, whether you're here in the room in the theater, to bring a hard copy of God's Word with you through this series. Now I'm just FYI, I'll be reading from NLT, which is New Living Translation. But whatever copy you like to study, there are several good ones out there. I would encourage you to bring that through this uh, because you'll be amazed at, as you study through it, what'll happen is later on, you'll go back and the Lord, something he spoke to you, especially if you read or underlined, and I encourage you to mark up your Bibles. You know, you're not going to take them with you when you go. And so mark them up while you're here, use those things. And so I encourage you to do that through this series though, not for me, but for you. And so, Uh, or or at least you go, you know what? I do better looking at my phone. That's awesome too, but there's a note guide that's there. I would say through this series, the note guide's gonna be important because kind of contrary to more you know, felt need series where we look at a, an issue we're struggling with, and then get scripture to bring to it. This is just us coming to the scripture and going, "What do you have to say to us, God?" Through these little letters. And so, I love Bible teaching, and look, I've already realized that I could take a year on these two short little letters, and I don't have that time. So, I want to encourage you to fill in the gaps. Anything we don't study specifically through the series, I want you to study it. But We're gonna call this series Living for the Return because that's the central theme of both of these letters. There's a church in this town called Thessalonica planted by the Apostle Paul with his two kind of ministry companions at that time, Timothy and Silas. So to give you the historical date of these, you gotta go back to the mid-first century. So 1 Thessalonians was written around 50 AD. So to put that in perspective for you, less than 20 years after Jesus died, rose and ascended, this letter was written. Another fun fact, by the way, this was the first letter most scholars would say that was inspired by the Spirit and written by the Apostle Paul. So he wrote, most of what you have is the New Testament, and even though it's really not in order, First Thessalonians is thought to be the very first time Paul put pen to paper and wrote a letter, and it was under inspiration of the Spirit of God to be left for us today. All the way to now, and so the central theme of the return of Jesus, living for the return of Jesus, that you find in these letters, I don't think it could be more uh, relevant than now. Every platform out there is bombarded with prophetic messages about how the last two years are, you know, the pandemic, the war, that it's all pointing to the return of Jesus, or or a word that we hear a lot, apocalypse, or another way to say it, we're living in the end times. You see a lot of that out there, right? So. When I think about it, and when you think about it, there's a few responses. When we think about this, you know, Jesus coming back, apocalypse, end times. When you think about that, there's some responses of our heart that naturally come. You know what the first one is? Fear and anxiety. I actually think it's a sort of natural, we've been accustomed to, thinking fearfully when it comes to the return of the Lord. When it comes to this idea of, is there a battle of Armageddon? Is there an apocalypse coming? When you think about these things, our hearts have been accustomed to this, well, there's a little bit of anxiety that revs up. So put that on top of all the anxiety and and we've already been wrestling with, all of a sudden it goes to a new level. Another response to this idea of end times is unfortunately apathy. And here's here's my gut on it. People even that know the Lord, have kind of said, you know what, it doesn't matter. And it does matter because we've been so overstimulated by everything that's gone on. Our senses are dull. So one of my prayers through this series is that God will bring the the third response back to you, joy and excitement. Do you know for the church of Jesus Christ, when we think about end times, even when you think about that word apocalypse I'm not saying all of it's good and fun and games. What I'm saying is, as a follower of Christ, there should be at least a little bit of joy that rises up in our heart and goes, Jesus, we're living in this day. We're living in the time where literally you could set things in motion and all this that we've hoped for for all this time, it could happen. And so that's my prayer through this series. Now, side note, this letter of Thessalonians is not specifically all about the end times, So if you read through it, you won't find that every single thing Paul says is about the return of Jesus. It's the central theme. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to take you this morning to two other very lengthy passages of Scripture because I want you to see it that are not from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. But I want to fill in the gaps when it comes to end times. And also, we're going to let the truth of what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica speak to us about living for the return. And so today we're going to walk through the whole first chapter of 1st Thessalonians together. And so I want to start with what I think is the foundation of both of these books and is found in these first few verses, specifically uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. But I want to pick up in verse 8 this morning. It says, uh, he says, "...now the word of the Lord is ringing out from, uh, from you to people everywhere. Even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God." We don't need to tell them about it for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and then how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. So hold on to this this morning because we're gonna come back to it. Your faith is ringing out. People are telling us about your faith. We hear the story of how you turned away from idols into the living God. Do you know what that describes? There's one word that sums that up, the testimony of the church. Today, our entire focus in the scripture is gonna be testimony and so we're going to come back to that in a moment but it's ringing out people are telling us about your faith we're hearing the story of how you turned from idols to God that is your testimony that's the testimony of the church and so the testimony continues verse 10 it says they speak of how they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven to me it's one of the central themes and understanding of the heart of this church They were a church living for the return, looking forward to the return, the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So when I looked into it, this idea of looking forward to the return, there's another translation that says waiting for or watching for is the idea. The deeper meaning is to continue to be present in the midst of So these people were continuing to be present. That was their reputation. In the midst of a crazy culture, you're gonna find out Thessalonica was not an easy place to be a Christian. In the midst of all of it though, they continued to look for to continue to be present and live on mission in the moment. And so living for the return was their testimony. When, when Paul heard about them, he goes, I was there and planted that church, but now that I'm far away, I'm hearing the story of how you're still living, looking for Jesus to show back up like he said he would. And So before we walk through this, I want to lay a foundation for end times and I thought through it. I thought, you know, I don't want to wait till the end or later in the series to give you this. And so, I want to, what I want to give you is a blanket that we have to lay over anything in times. When you, as a believer here in times, I'm going to give you four foundational truths that, when we start talking about it, because you'll get into it in Second Thessalonians, especially as we talk about the man of lawlessness. We call him the Antichrist, and you think about uh, some of the other passages that are here. So, I want to give you foundational truths that we have to use before we continue in this, uh, in this first chapter. So here's the first one. Everything the Bible says about end times is meant to start urgency in how we live right now. And that is something you need to hang your hat on. That's something you gotta build a foundation of everything you know about the Bible. Everything the Bible says. The rapture of the church. So what's the rapture of the church? That's the time where Jesus, at whatever point he decides to do it, calls the church from this world. Uh, The great tribulation that we hear about where things get really hard on this earth. The battle of Armageddon where Jesus is set up against all of his enemies. The millennial reign of Christ where for a thousand years God reigns over this earth. The judgment seat of Jesus. If you read through the Old Testament and the Bible, there's prophecy after prophecy about things that are still going to happen that haven't happened yet. The man of lawlessness with counterfeit power. All the book of Revelation Everything is meant to stir urgency in the hearts of believers, not fear. Everything is not meant to have full understanding. It's meant to stir us to our mission. Here's the second foundational truth. Not everything that happens in our world is a direct fulfillment of end times prophecy. See, everything physical does have a spiritual significance. I do believe that. I believe we are spiritual beings. God is a spiritual being. We're created, but, we have a tendency to over-spiritualize everything. We talk about the government, the vaccine, the pandemic, and everybody wants to find a connection somehow. And here's usually what it's about, getting likes or getting political power. That's usually what it's about. Now, am I saying that we can't see through the last two years how the end times could come about, how the whole world could be crippled at once? Yes, we can. For the first time in the history of our known world, We can see how the whole world has been impacted. No one left untouched by a virus. We've also seen how the whole world could be influenced through media at once. Once upon a time, even a few generations ago, that wasn't even a thought. And now you can see this. But here's my warning. Be very careful taking liberties or making connections that scripture doesn't make. We actually have to hold our own selves accountable for that. Everything you see, you can't go to the Bible and say there is a direct prophecy. I'm not saying there's not some. I'm just saying we have to be careful. Just because we see signs of the times doesn't mean we understand everything. Now, here's the third truth that we have to lay over this entire thing. In this life, we can't understand everything, but we can't understand enough. i wrestle with this because I'm a guy that wants to, st- I love the Bible, I love Jesus. I know he loves me. And I'm like, God, I get frustrated when I get to things I can't wrap my mind around. You ever been there? I wish I could understand more. God, I really wanna get this. And sometimes I'll think I understand something and then wait a couple of years and God shows me something else. I'm like, well, Lord, I had that wrong the whole time. Hopefully you've been there before because if not, you're way more perfect than the rest of us. We get to this point where we're wrestling. Here's the thing. We can understand enough to do what? Live with urgency right now. Live for the return right now. So, I read this in the book of Revelation. Did you know there are some things we are not going to be able to understand because God prevents it? So when you read through that book and there's all these prophetic imageries and symbolisms and you're going, I, I don't know how to, how to line all this up, the judgment of God and the church being wrapped. Right, when is all this? There's actually one piece that God left out. I want to show you this. John, Revelation 10:4 is he was writing down the book of Revelation that we have. It says, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. So literally, he dips his pen and he's about to write. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. I don't care how much you understand, God made sure there was a certain amount that you're just gonna have to have faith. He didn't give us all of it. Isn't that interesting? He gave us plenty. He gave us enough, but there's certain things we don't know. Now, here's my favorite part. This is the last foundational truth. This is why we have hope. It's this, Jesus wins. Even if you don't understand the rest of the story, you can get over there to this one part. Now, actually, I'm gonna show you. This is linked, and you probably never read this aloud in church before, but I'm about to reframe for some of you the picture of Jesus that you have. When we think of Jesus, what do we think of? Guy hanging on a cross, right? Praise the Lord for the cross. Praise the Lord for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you that you lived and you died and you rose and you ascended and you poured the spirit out. But, I'm about to give you a picture of what we're going to see. We kind of talked about a little bit in Isaiah last week. We saw that, you know, this worship service in heaven that would freak most of us out. Let me give you a picture of heaven right here. If you fast forward to the end of the story, Revelation 19, here's what it says. This is John Wright. And I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. That's Jesus, by the way. He judges fairly and he wages righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. Some of you are already scared to death. You're going, Jesus, seriously? This is that king of kings, lord of lords part. Here it says, his eyes were like flames of fire. His head, on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and the title was word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. That's it, his title was word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in finest uh, of pure white linen. And by the way, you don't go to war dressed in white unless you're not planning on getting dirty. And so the finest of the heaven, they're dressed in white linen. They followed him on white horses. You don't ride white horses either. You know what I'm saying? And so from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press on his robe. Uh, At his thigh was written this title King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world. This is all the enemies. This is Satan. This is what we call the Antichrist. All their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and all who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, we know as hell or the eternal pit. Their entire entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth. Let me translate, by the word, Jesus defeats every enemy of hell. All hell that rises against us will one day be defeated. It said, out of the mouth of the one riding the white horse. So can I give you a long picture here to say, like, the reason we have hope and confidence when we think about end times, Jesus wins, y'all. We just got to take a breath sometimes when we look around because that anxiety that revs up, that, 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 that fear that kind of comes over, or just the nervousness. When you start thinking about what does all this mean, the, the starting point of our day should be, Jesus, you win. How would your life change if you woke up in the morning and start out by going, Jesus, I already know we win, so I'm going to fight from victory today. You may need to go back and read through this passage again because there's a lot there. Some of it's hard to understand, some of it's very clear, Jesus wins. And so when Paul said to the Thessalonican church, the testimony about you is you're living for the return, they didn't have Revelation in hand yet. They couldn't open version and go, let me scan to Revelation. All they had was the promise of Jesus that said, I'm gonna come back for you. So living for the return, they didn't even have as much as we have to go on. They were just going on the fact that the testimony was Jesus said, just like I'm going into heaven, I'm going to come back from you. That's what the angel said there that day. And so they, like us, have have to be brought back to this place of living with urgency, though. Because what you're going to find out through this letter is they're not perfect, as they sound at the beginning. Paul is writing to them to bring them back to this place of urgency. It's been said of you that you live for the return, but he has to come back and say, but now I want to kind of convict you through the word, through my words, through the spirit. I want to convict you to actually live like it. So let me show you what we learned from the church at Thessalonica. Living for the return of Jesus starts with a, and here's this word again, Testimony. So you said you were gonna tell us what it looks like to live for the return. Well, chapter one and the starting point for every person, if you truly wanna live with the end in sight, you truly wanna live, every day counts because we know that our days are numbered, it starts with a testimony. Now, here's what a testimony is, simply put. This is one way to define a testimony. Testimony is this, the story of how you're not who you used to be nor who you could have become because you have new life in Jesus. I've never defined it this way publicly before, but I'm about to tell you why, because God gave me some insights over the past couple of years about my own testimony. How many of you have a testimony in the room? Raise your hand. All right, so according to this, story of how you're not who you used to be. Now, most of the time, when I say testimony, you're like, amen, I was in the dark, cold, far from God, smoked everything, did everything, killed people, and then Jesus, thank the Lord, came in and saved my life, right? Sometimes when we think testimony, That's what we think. And yes, it's true. Things the Lord delivered us from. If you came to Christ a little later in life, there are many in this room, just recently, you truly came to Christ. So your testimony, you spent some time building it, if you know what I mean. (laughs) You go back, you're like, yeah, I I spent a few years building my testimony. But what about those that grew up in church? And you never really fell that far from God. I mean, you were a pretty good person. I'm not saying you don't have sin. We all have sin. But when you look at people who have that far from God testimony, you feel lesser than. Let me show you what God, God kind of showed me about testimony. It's not just the story of who you used to be. It's also the story of who you could have become without Christ. What did God save you from? Here's the thing. You know your sinful tendencies. You know who you could have become without the Lord Jesus intervening when he did. See, your testimony includes not only the things that you used to be and now are, the things that you know you could have become without Christ, that's part of your testimony. Here's what I'm saying. Every testimony is equally as powerful because they all equal, there was a dead person that spiritually was raised to life. Some were just saved from a lot of baggage and regret while others built a strong testimony to say, look, here's what I did and now I'm in Christ. And if you talk to somebody who has one of those testimonies from the past, they wouldn't tell you to go down that road. I mean, sometimes it kind of worries me when people say, yeah, I don't regret anything I did because now I'm in Jesus. I'm like, hang on, that's a little bit weird. Because I mean, I get it. Part of it is what got you to Christ. But when you say you have no regrets, it kind of gives people freedom to go, well, I'm gonna go down that road. So what we should say is, Lord, it's by your grace and mercy. You raised me out of where I used to be. But don't we wanna pray for our kids that they don't have to go down those roads? God, what if you just saved them young and their testimony was all about what you saved them from ever becoming? Isn't that a powerful thought? And so let's read through this first chapter together and look specifically at the testimony of the church. Here's what it says. This letter is from Paul and Silas and Timothy. Again, first time Paul would take his pen and begin to write a letter inspired to a church. He wanted to go there himself. He couldn't go there, so he's writing a letter. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, May God give you grace and peace. So these three men have established the church. And if you read the book of Acts, it, it puts the timeline together. They left the town of Philippi and then they went to the town of Thessalonica. In Philippi, it's a fa- there's a famous story there. Paul and Silas get beaten and locked up for basically sharing Jesus. And then at midnight, the jail busts open because they're having a worship service. They lead the jailer and his family to Christ. And then that guy, along with Lydia, a lady who who's sort of one of the leaders of the early church there in Philippi, they plant the church. But then they kind of get run out of town. And so they go to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, what you'll find out is they started the church in the home of a guy named Jason. Very soon, Jewish unbelievers had Jason arrested and started persecuting the church. And eventually, Paul, Silas, and Timothy would be forced to run again out of town after they planted the church, fearing sort of for their lives, running for their lives. And so... Paul thought back to his time with the church, and then he speaks of grace and peace kind of first over them. He's sort of speaking like a spiritual dad in their lives and going, I wanna speak grace and peace, young church, over you. And so verse two, he says this. Here's what we're doing, church. We're thanking God for you. We always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, here's what we're thinking about, testimony. We're thinking about your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they lived there. Paul had lived with this church for an extended period of time. It'd be like somebody moving to town for for a year and doing life with us and being a bought-in part of the church, and then God picked them up and moved them somewhere else. That's sort of what had happened. There was a season that Paul, we don't know exactly how long it was, there was a good season Paul got to spend with the church, and so they knew him personally. And he said, there are attributes of your testimony that are coming back to my mind. These are also attributes of our testimonies today. And so that's what we're going to unpack. Here's what he said your faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope. And so, attributes of your testimony are this faith, love, and hope. Every testimony has these three things faith, love, and hope. What I mean, it starts with faith. See, it's not blind faith when we believe in Christ. We have so much evidence, sometimes we just don't want to admit it. It's hard to admit how much actual evidence historically, scientifically there is for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a ton. But then there's a certain amount of faith where you come to that place going, God, I understand enough. I feel you're drawing enough. And so I'm gonna respond in faith and put my faith in you. But here's what he said. You didn't just have faith initially. Your faithful work, So there was a continuing. And then he says this, your loving deeds. And so anyone who has a testimony about Christ, you should be more loving now. And there should be something about your testimony where people go, you have something you didn't have when it comes to how you love people. Something God just messed my life up with is his love. When you got a prideful, stubborn guy who who takes himself way too seriously, love is sometimes the last thing to be shown from those kind of people. When God starts messing with you, though, when the Spirit comes over you, starts writing this new life story, all of a sudden people go, he's full of love. And I go, yeah, but you should have known me before that full surrender to the Lord. And then the last one is hope. And basically what he's saying is that you keep your eyes on the promises of God, not just the circumstances that you're in, because they were pretty hard. Verse four, he continues. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you. And if you're taking notes or, or, or writing in your Bible, I would, I would go back and look at this verse again, chosen you. I would circle that, write it down, to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. You know of our concern for you from the way you live and we were with you, so you received the message with joy. So let me give you another attribute of a testimony here. Here it is, that our testimony is initiated by God and affirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Initiated by God. What do you mean? Well, it says here that God chose you to be his people. How do you know God chose you? This is a debate that has needlessly divided too many churches. There are churches that don't exist anymore because they got in a debate over who was chosen and who was not. And it really, scripturally, it's the most ridiculous debate that's ever existed. God never called us to debate who was chosen. Here's what Paul was saying, a fact. God chose you to be his people, but how do you know you're chosen? Verse 6, you received the message with joy. So let me put the two together. How do you know God has called you to salvation? Well, are you receiving the message? Do you hear what the Lord is saying to you? Are you receiving this as truth? Then you know God is calling you. And so there's both the, 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 the idea simultaneously that you have been chosen by God and you chose to receive him. Those both are doctrines. It's not one or the other. I'm more convinced now than ever the division has to stop in the church when it comes to, well, did you receive him because you chose him or did he choose you? Both. The doctrine of both is true. Now here's the thing, it just takes faith because we can't quite reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. There's no way to completely reconcile them in our minds. But we can just have faith. God, you know everything and you also love us enough to let us choose, right? There's an amount of belief. So Paul's here saying God chose you and you also received it. I love that. I love the the both-and doctrine that's wrapped up in this. Think about your story, though. How did God initiate salvation in your life? Sometimes it's coming back to church after a while, and the Lord just stings your heart. It's pretty awesome here, but when we see people get baptized, sometimes that initiates somebody else's faith. Sometimes another person in your life, sometimes you could just be reading the Word, and, and the Lord initiates salvation or initiates a next step. And so salvation is initiated by the Spirit of God. No one can come to God unless the Father draws, unless the Spirit, what we know, it, draws him. But it's also affirmed. Do you know what it says? The Spirit assures you of the truth. Now, let me explain. This doesn't mean that you'll never doubt your salvation. Because I think the enemy can throw darts of doubt at us at any time. But what you have to come back to, is has there ever been an affirming spirit in your heart to affirm in you that you know what you truly have been born again i don't think we have to say you know what i've never ever doubted my faith i've never doubted god i've never what i do think we have to go back to is god has you ever have you ever affirmed me sometimes that affirmation of the spirit is as you're reading the bible and used to it felt like you were reading somebody else's mail and then all of a sudden it came to life for you that's an affirmation of the spirit You've never really served the Lord before and you start serving and you realize God's given you something to do for his kingdom. That's an affirmation. You have a spiritual gift you didn't have before and you come to that realization. That's, a, that's an affirmation of the spirit in your life. Again, it doesn't mean that all doubts are cast aside ever. We're human. We still have a sin flesh nature. But on the spirit side of us, that spirit living in us, there is affirmation. You can even sense the power of the spirit and see it in your life. That's an affirmation of God's spirit. Do you know when we come together and before you come to Christ sometimes, it's just like, oh yeah, they do music at the beginning of the worship service. But then when you come to Christ, all of a sudden there's this sense of the presence of God as we worship together, right? That's an affirmation of the Spirit. You need affirmation that God is among us. You feel the presence of the Lord sometimes. So here's what verse 6 says. So you received this message. You chose to say, God, I hear you, and here's my life. You received it as the truth. And here's what he said, how you received it. You received this message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example for all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Can I give you another attribute of our testimony? It's this that there is joy in spite of suffering. See, the testimony includes the hardships, your testimony includes hardships as a believer, the valley moments. Even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. That means that we are at some point going to walk through the valley. Your testimony includes valley. Now, this is something that has, has, you know, old saying. I think my pastor probably used to say when I was young. There is no testimony without a test. And those that have been tested greatly usually have great testimonies. And they, they pull us in. But you want me, to, you want me tell you what pulls me in? When I see a, a child of God walk through a deep valley of loss, of heartache, and yet they have this joy emanating from within them. Aren't we drawn to those people? I am. It challenges my very, if every fiber in me is challenged by that, because I'm going, I know the truth, I know Jesus wins, but in this moment, how are you walking through that with joy? I mean, it's not that you're not mad at God. It's not that you're not hurt with God sometimes. It's not what you, that times you even doubt God because you prayed and he didn't answer. But yet in the depth of who you are, you have this joy emanating from your life as you walk through a valley. I'm drawn to that. But did you know that's part of a testimony? Every testimony has to include, well, I've been through the valley, but my shepherd was there with me. Isn't that a beautiful thing to know? Psalm 34, 18 says this, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So, you know what I've come to put together? It's in the valley where you get to know the shepherd the best. You know why people emanate joy? You know why people, you can almost feel the life change flowing out off of them onto you sometimes? It's because in those deep valleys, that's where the anointing of the Spirit comes. How do you get the anointing? By being close to your shepherd. Spending time with your shepherd. And so when you pray about it, God, give me anointing in my life. You know what? Sometimes you're praying, God, will you let me walk through the valley? Some of you are going, that prayer's out now. Never praying for anointing again. But here's the thing. He's near to the brokenhearted, so he's right there in the pain. Over the last couple of years, we have watched some brothers and some sisters walk through some valleys, church. People we love, they walk through some valleys, and yet they've walked through it with joy. How do we keep joy in the middle of the valley? How do we have joy in spite of suffering? Well, we have to keep our mindset set on hope. I wanna get back to where we started this morning because we're gonna wrap up with the same thing we started with. Verse eight, he says, "'Now the word of the Lord, it's ringing out everywhere.'" There's that testimony. Even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. They keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Let me give you another attribute here that we see. It's ringing out everywhere, the fact that you turned from idols and you turned to God. That is a reputation of repentance. So let me me explain the difference. A testimony, yes, it will include an initial repentant moment. Where I came to this place where I didn't just stop doing some bad things, all right? Repentance is not that I turned away from some bad things, okay? That's half repentance. Repentance is I turned away from idols, bad things, sin, and I turned to the living God. That's full repentance. See, if you're, you're, you know, mad person, 180 degrees is repentance. A lot of us stop at 90, all right? You're like, I want to turn away and I want to do some good things instead of bad things. That's 90 degrees and that is not repentance. 180 is repentance when I turn away but see your testimony must include not just how you stop being a bad person but how you turned away from death and you turned away from darkness and you turned to the living savior Jesus Christ being a better person uh, uh, is not uh, enough being good isn't enough surrender to Christ and turning to him that's the only way so here's what we'll find in the coming weeks they had a reputation of ongoing repentance Not just a, hey, when I was 12, I realized I need Jesus, but like, you know, right now, as the Lord's revealing things to me, I'm willing to turn away and turn back. Listen, that is the church. I'm speaking to those in Christ this morning. Every time He reveals something, would it be that our reputation is God, we are repentant, and that's our reputation? We're not perfect, we're repentant. I would much rather be called a repentant child of God than a perfect child of God. Perfect means nobody will ever approach you. Repentant means, hey, they're messed up and God's working on them so I can talk to them and that's me, that's who I am. I I need people in my life like that because that's what I am. So we're gonna find this out though, this reputation that they had, they were not living up to it completely. Paul said, hey, here's what people are saying about you but now let me write a letter to you and help you live up to it. Sometimes when God does something great in our life, we can run on that reputation for a long time. You know what? But behind the scenes, we have to ask ourselves the question, but am I really that person? Am I living up to my reputation? Reputations are not just good or not just bad. Some reputations can be good. And in the middle of that, you got to be sure you continue in that. And so, Verse eight, we find this, that other people are telling us about your faith. Your story is ringing out. Here's another attribute of a testimony. Other people wanna tell your story too. (laughs) I think the most exciting things that we've ever been able to experience here usually surrounded someone else coming to Jesus. Think about it. Throughout the history of this church, in the late 90s, there was a revival. When I say revival, like hundreds of people came to know Jesus. Some of you are here this morning. You came to know Jesus, there were mission, uh, mission endeavors that were started out of that revival. There were people that sold everything they had and moved to a different country after that revival. You're going, hey, this is not in the first century, this is just in the 90s. For some of you youngins, that seems like the first century, but it's not. It's there, believe me. It's a little closer than you think. But here's the thing. When you think back through your life, what's the most exciting thing that you've seen God do? It usually has to do with changing somebody's life, doesn't it? testimonies other people wanna tell. I don't get tired. I try to be careful not to boast because I don't ever wanna be the guy that's like, oh, it's always good. I love telling people's life change stories though. Maybe it's just because God uses that to fire my heart up. I remind myself in the depressed moments and then the down moments. God, I remember when the baptism up here was flowing over into the floor. And this crazy pastor said, I don't want to use that old broken thing because it's actually broken. I don't want to use that. I want to put a horse trough in here. And everybody's going, are you kidding me right now? So we do it. And then on the first Sunday, everything goes wrong. And like the water's leaking all out in the floor. And I'm going, I'm fired. I made it seven months. It was a good seven months. I'm done now. And, and all of a sudden, people start coming forward spontaneously on my first Easter Sunday here to be baptized and that flow really hadn't stopped every single year every month sometimes even every week there are people come to Christ and we're we're still spilling water in the floor listen we'll replace it when we need to I'm okay with that but here's the thing testimonies of what God has done other people want to tell the story too that's a marker of a testimony do you know the only way they know how to tell your story though is if they've either lived life with you or they've heard your story when was the last time you shared your story? So many believers feel like their story is lesser than because it doesn't line up to some big testimony they've heard that they don't share. Your kids need to hear your testimony. Some of you need to make a date night, date day with your kids, and you need to sit them down, take them to lunch, take them to dinner somewhere, and go, let me, let me tell you about how I came to Christ. Just be honest with them. Verse 10, here's the final piece here. It says, they speak of how you are looking forward to the return, looking forward to the return or to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And so the final attribute we'll talk about today of a testimony includes this, living for the return of Jesus right now. Living for the return of Jesus right now. So Your testimony is never about an event that happened in the past. That an event is a part of it where, you know, I felt led to go down an aisle. I watched something and I felt compelled to give my life to Jesus. I sat in a church service and I said, Jesus, I surrender to you. That is a part of your testimony. That's not your testimony. Sometimes we think that repentant moment is my testimony. That's a part of it. Living for the return right now is also a part of it. So the question is, If you have a testimony, God's still writing it right now. Are you knowing him, loving him, and living new life right now, and how? Are you living with urgency right now, and how? Now, I don't want to throw too many spoilers out there, but here's what I'm going to say. We're not far from the return of our Lord. Look around, church. I could give you verse after verse after verse, and I'm not here trying to scare people to death. Again, I'm, I'm here hoping to inspire joy. But do you know why I share Jesus every week? You ever wondered that? I'm already saved, Pastor. Like, Why are you sharing Jesus every single week? Well, you don't know where people stand. Part of my job with living with urgency is just to look at you and go, I love you so much that I can't not tell you about Christ every week. Oh, shouldn't we just do something else? Do you have to share the story of the cross every single week? Do you have to talk about Savior, how he died for us, and if we'll just give our life to him? No, I don't have to. God may not even be mad at me if I didn't. But one of my commitments when I was ordained, I went and preached uh, at the church where I was ordained uh, last week and I got to be there and, uh, and just being in that moment where God raised me up and the commitment that I made to go, Jesus, I wanna be a minister of the gospel. I feel you compelling. So part of why I share Jesus every week now, is all the way back to this idea, I'm living with urgency. I just don't wanna underestimate the fact that somebody, God's maybe grabbing your heart and pulling you in. You may be watching online or in our theater downstairs and God's just grabbing your heart and pulling you towards the cross and you go, I can't even understand it, but I feel so compelled towards Jesus this morning. You know what? Living for the return means that we fight for families to make Jesus the center of our home. If you're raising kids, there is no more important time to put Jesus in the middle than now. Don't wait. It's why we try not to waste any time with projecting hope into our community. Yes, we wanna build a better community. Yes, we wanna address social issues, but the root of that is, Jesus, we wanna be your hands and feet so that people may know you through this. We build a better community, not just for the sake of it, but in your name. Here's what I'll say. Jesus is coming. It is a reality. Just as much of a reality as Jesus coming, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, dying on a cross, being buried and raising again, just as we believe that, we also have to believe that the end is coming. There is a day where Jesus Christ is coming back. We can't lose sight of that. Maybe that's the entire series is for Riverbend Church to look at you and say, we can't lose sight of this, church. There is a too late. There is a such thing as too late. I wrestle with that because I'm a grace person, but I go, you know what? When you read it, you know that there is a definitive time that has been marked out. So God help us live with urgency. We know that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And while hell was not prepared for people, it was prepared for those who would never surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil and all of his demons and anyone who would not surrender to him will be separated one day from him. There's a day set for judgment where those of us with a clear testimony, we won't have to fear because we'll be welcomed by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimonies into heaven. We can look forward to it with joy and excitement. But I want to land here this morning. A truth we have to wrestle with is this you can't be ready for the return unless you have a testimony. It starts with a testimony. I don't care how much prophecy you understand, I don't care how many hours of YouTube prophecy you watch this week. We'll address that later. That's a whole other issue. I don't care how much Bible you've read. You go, seriously, yeah. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't have a personal testimony yourself about here's who I'm not who I used to be because of Jesus Christ and here's who he saved me from becoming, here's what's going into my life right now, you're not ready. But if you have a testimony, you don't have to fear anything ahead. What am I gonna have to go through? What's it gonna be like? Well, I can't explain all of it to you. I can explain some of it to you. But here's what I can tell you. You don't have to fear if you have a testimony. So my question to you today, do you truly have a testimony? I'm going to pick on my friend Jeff. You sit right there. You're in my blind sight. When you gave your life to Christ and completely surrendered, I watched you start using aspects of your life as a platform to share your story. I don't think I could convince you to come up here and preach. I really don't. You'd probably run and go get in your boat and be gone. But here's what I do know. You told your story. And I think about around the room, and I think about the stories that have been told over and over again. Charlie, I know you're not scared to share your story. I've seen you share it with people in hopes that they too may receive the message. But it's crazy. When you look around the room, you see these stories of testimonies. And, and listen, I don't know your heart, but I do know your testimony, right? I can't judge your heart, but I can judge your testimony. God, I hear that. I see that. So, church, I want to ask you, do you have one of those stories? Corey, I see you. I remember out lake. There was a big part of your testimony that day where you finally you know, came forward and said, I already gave my life to Jesus, but here I am to go public with that faith. I just think about the stories. Your stories have ministered to me. They fire me up to keep doing what I'm doing. And so I can't imagine anyone not having a testimony. Maybe you need to think about it, but if you can't share your testimony, there's no judgment here. Listen, there's nobody waiting to go. I knew it. You didn't have one. You've been faking. No, people are waiting. I think sometimes I wonder if heaven doesn't lean in going, come on, surrender. Come on, we're about to throw a party right here. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the it's the, the fourth quarter and there's two seconds left. And it's like, are you going to come on, surrender to Jesus. You know it's the time right now. I think everybody leans in waiting to celebrate. You feel like the enemies convince you that people are waiting to judge you. And all heaven's going, hey, we're just waiting to party with you. Throw a celebration because your eternity changed the moment you have a testimony of following Jesus Christ. Let me show you this verse as we wrap up Romans 10. Here's what it says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that means Jesus, I'm going to turn away from my sin, away from myself. And I don't even, you can even add this, God, I don't know if I can completely do that, but I want to give it my best attempt to turn from that and turn to you from all my fleshly desires and the things that I've where I've defined my own truth, I'm gonna turn away from that and I'm gonna turn to you. That's what it means to declare that he, Jesus, I declare with how I live that you're my boss and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you believe basically in the spirit that raised the Lord from the dead. Jesus got up out of the grave. Here's what he said. You believe that, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. So I want you to bow all over the room with me today. If you're watching online, love for you to stay with us for just a moment. Here's what I wanna ask you. Do you have a testimony? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that your life belongs to Jesus Christ? Do you know, church? I want us all to be able to live for the last days, to live for the end times and say, Jesus, we're ready but it starts with a testimony. Everything else, it starts with a testimony. Everything else we're gonna learn about the end times, it starts with a testimony. Have you ever truly surrendered or have you been playing church? Have you ever surrendered or have you been just pretending behind the scenes that you got it right with the Lord? Because here's the thing, we're waiting to celebrate with you this morning. And I wanna ask you, if you're in the theater, if you're watching online, if you're here in this room with me this morning, I feel my heart stirred this week to, to share this. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you go, you know what? I come to that realization today that I need to do that. I don't have a testimony, but I know it's gonna start right now today. Here's what I want you to do. When nobody looking around, I want you to just raise up your hand right where you are. Just raise it really quickly all over the house. Awesome. Anybody else? So here's what I want you to do. If that's you today in the theater today, just say this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I'm willing to follow you all my days. I'm willing to turn away from my sin and turn myself to you in repentance. Just tell him say Jesus, I'm ready to make you the boss of my life. And just say thank you Jesus for saving me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.